Welcome to Bench Talk, the week in science. My name is Dave Robinson. And I'm Ashley Best. You're listening to WFMP Louisville, 106.5 FM. This show's about bringing science to the people. We'll be bringing you weekly updates on new research that is important to all of us and celebrating evidence-based policy. We've scoured the library stacks for interesting articles, climbed the hill to stay informed on science policy, and performed some experiments of our own. We're here as a conduit of all things science, so... Let's get started. Hey there. Well, if you caught our show last week, you heard the beginning of our story on the 10 things we've learned about Earth since the last Earth Day. And this was based on an article published on April 22nd, 2021 on the website Vox. We covered the first six items already to review them. The oceans got quieter during the pandemic. Conservationists realized the important role that ecotourism plays in protecting natural wildlife from poachers. Thirdly, wildfire smoke can make the air turn luminescent orange under certain conditions. The Amazon forest is now adding more carbon dioxide to the air rather than removing it. There are some fascinating new species that were identified over the past 12 months. So those were the first items. Now let's continue with our list of things that scientists have learned about our planet in recent months. Number six. On the other hand, we got a clearer picture this year of just how much wildlife we're losing, and the picture is not pretty. The World Wildlife Fund published a report last year showing that mammals and birds have declined by almost 70% in the last 50 years. Now, the loss of biodiversity is a global problem, but the worst hit areas are in Latin America, Africa, and the Caribbean. There was a lower loss of biodiversity in North America and Europe, but it's still a global problem. A paper published in Nature this January showed that oceanic populations of sharks and rays have dropped 71% in the last 50 years, and a third of freshwater fish are now at risk of extinction. Also in January 2021, the Scientific American magazine published the names of more than 30 now extinct species. In addition to that 30, there are 65 other North American plant species that now seem to be missing, plus 22 frog species, 15 mite species, 17 fish species, and that was from a single lake in the Philippines, and 30 orchid species, all gone. Number seven, natural ocean currents appear to be shifting. There's an ocean current system just south of Greenland in the North Atlantic Ocean that appears to be cooling, for instance, and it's probably due to melting ice. But the problem with this is that this might be interfering with the natural circulation of warmer water from the more southern locations in the Atlantic. So it's thought that this interference in circulation patterns could impact sea level rise, the occurrence and intensity of hurricanes and other weather systems, and it might also affect marine ecosystems. Number eight, 
A March 2021 report by the United Nations about deforestation shows that lands under the control of indigenous peoples and native tribal populations fare much better than lands controlled by private or governmental entities. Big surprise there, right? For instance, almost half of the intact forests in the Amazon Basin of South America, they're considered indigenous territories. The loss of forest there was 5% between the years 2000 and 2016, whereas the loss of rainforest that was in non-indigenous areas was twice that, about 11%. So it appears that tribal peoples are better guardians of their land. Number nine, a paper that just came out April of 2021 in the journal called Science is showing a link between asteroids, dinosaurs, and the tropical rainforests of South America. It's thought that a giant asteroid struck the Earth some 66 million years ago in what is now known as the Yucatan Peninsula in southern Mexico. And that kind of started this whole thing off. Before that huge rock hit the Earth, the area was dominated by conifers and ferns and the pine trees and other gymnosperms that grew there were fairly sparse because they were being trampled and eaten by herbivorous dinosaurs. But once the asteroid hit, the dinosaurs and the plants were largely destroyed and they ended up being replaced by flowering plants, which grew much more densely than before because the dinos weren't around to stomp on them and eat them. So this gave rise to the tropical rainforest of that region that we know today. It's all rather hypothetical since we don't have a time machine, but but that's the idea expounded by this recent publication. And finally, number 10, new data about wombats. Now, wombats are these cute, huggable marsupials that are native to Australia and Tasmania, and they sort of look like soft, chubby teddy bears. Well, wombat watchers have always wondered something about wombats. It's their feces, specifically the shape of their droppings. Wombat droppings are shaped like a cube. They're six-sided, like a dice. Well, a team of scientists investigated this and found that it's the unusual way that the wombat intestine works. It's sort of like a garbage compactor. It squeezes the feces in three different directions, giving it that unique cube shape. Now, no one knows what the evolutionary advantage of cubical droppings might be, but one theory is that it's a way of preventing the feces from rolling down hillsides or rock faces. So, since the feces are more angular, the piles of non-mobile droppings stays put in one spot, and that might act as a signal to others that Hey, there's a healthy wombat nearby somewhere. So there it is. The 10 things we've learned about Earth since the last Earth Day, as listed by Benji Jones and Brian Anderson and published in Vox on April 22nd, 2021. I'll provide a link to their article on our SoundCloud and Facebook pages. And I think I'll end with a quote from the article itself. Quote, If anything, the worst public health crisis in a century has brought our understanding of our planet 
and our place in the fragile yet resilient web of life throughout it into stark relief. Now for a new but critically important topic. Are you a parent of a child? Are you a woman who's currently pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant? If so, you should listen to this story because it's about a common chemical in our society that numerous researchers have shown impairs childhood brain development and increases risks of childhood learning, attention, and behavioral disorders. And this chemical also appears to interfere with male sexual development as it alters testosterone metabolism. What is this chemical we're talking about? Phthalates. And that's spelled P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E. It's a chemical that has attracted quite a bit of attention lately when a call to action was recently published in the American Journal of Public Health. This article is co-authored by eight public health professionals, and it was printed in the March 10, 2021 issue of the American Journal of Public Health. The title of the paper is, quote, Neurotoxicity of Orthothalates, Recommendations for Critical Policy Reforms to Protect Brain Development in Children, unquote. Now, phthalates are referred to as everywhere chemicals because they're so prevalent in our economy. At the chemical level, I can tell you that there are numerous different versions of phthalates, but they're all composed of a single six-carbon ring with two carbons attached to it, and those two carbons make it look like a pair of mandibles, the pinchers that an ant has. And these two mandible-like pinchers, they're carbons, they can have various other chains of carbons and oxygens attached to them. So they're fairly small molecules. And basically, they're synthetic chemicals that are added to plastic to make it soft and flexible. So any plastic you see out there that's soft and flexible, it probably contains phthalates. Phthalates are added to hand lotions because it helps it penetrate the skin barrier. They're added to fragrances to retain the smell. It's added to lipsticks and nail polish to maintain the color. Phthalates are found in hundreds of automotive, home, food, and personal care items. For example, PVC pipe for plumbing, food packaging, vinyl flooring, furniture, shower curtains, clothing, automotive plastics, medical tubing, garden hoses, and yes, some children's toys, although most toys are now not allowed to contain phthalates. Phthalates are also found in items like lubricating oils, adhesives, detergents, shampoos, soap, hairspray, and nail polish. Whew, see what I mean? It's all over the place. You can't get away from this stuff. And what's so bad about phthalates? Well, they've been linked to childhood obesity, neurodevelopmental problems, asthma, cardiovascular diseases, and cancer, as well as male reproductive issues like reduced testosterone, shorter anal genital distances, undescended testes, and lower sperm counts. 
Now, this April article specifically focused on how phthalates might affect development of the brain and the nervous system. According to this paper, past research on the link between phthalate exposure and cognitive development has been pretty contradictory, but they find the strongest link is between phthalates and childhood behaviors like hyperactivity, aggression, poor memory, defiance, emotional reactivity, delinquent behaviors, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. One study, for instance, reported that children of mothers with the highest level of phthalates in their urine during months four, five, and six of pregnancy, they were almost three times more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD compared to children of mothers who had lower levels of phthalates during that pregnancy period. And another study found that the IQ of children exposed to higher levels of phthalates in utero during pregnancy was seven points lower than for children with less exposure. But I got to tell you, on the other hand, other analyses have not found an association between phthalate exposure in children and behavioral or cognitive effects. And the CDC and EPA report that phthalate exposure levels in Americans are well below the levels that are deemed safe. So what this means to me is that they need to do more research on this. If you listen to Forward Radio routinely, and I hope you do, you might have heard an episode of a show called Food Sleuth Radio, which is a show produced by Melinda Hamilgard. It was the April 15, 2021 episode of Food Sleuth, where there is this interview with Dr. Shauna Swan, an epidemiologist and professor of environmental medicine and public health at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. This show was at least partly about phthalates, and I thought in case you missed this interview or forgot about it, we should listen in to about five minutes of this interview. It starts with Miss Hamilgarn asking Dr. Swan about the effect that phthalates have on male sexual development, and that's Dr. Swan's primary research area. This is of concern because male sperm counts in people from around the world have generally been dropping. You're talking about 25% drop over the last 35 years. So sperm concentrations are dropping worldwide for some reason. So let's listen in to just a little part of this April 15, 2020 episode of Food Sleuth Radio. You speak specifically about phthalates as being a compound that we find often as inert ingredients in pesticides, and that they don't only affect the fertility of men and women, but they also lower a fetus's exposure to testosterone. Tell me why that's important. That's important because during fetal development, the fetus, the male fetus in particular, requires enough testosterone at the right time to develop normally. And there's two developmental systems that are particularly sensitive to that. And one is the development of the reproductive system, and one is the brain. And what I studied in the greatest depth was the development of the reproductive system and particularly the genitals of the boys. And the reason I did that is because prior to doing this study, I 
heard about and spoke to the authors of a study which showed that rodents exposed prenatally to phthalates exhibit something which they had called the phthalate syndrome. And this is pretty dramatic because it's very unusual for a chemical to be given that name of it. That shows causation right there, phthalate syndrome. And they were able to produce in the laboratory this syndrome of effects on the male where the genitals are smaller. They're more likely to have genital birth defects. They have internal defects, which we couldn't actually look at in humans. And then they go on to have other reproductive problems, including with their fertility. So what I asked was, could that be happening in humans? Because we know that humans are exposed to these phthalates, the ones that they were giving these animals to produce the phthalate syndrome. And, you know, nobody had looked. So I set out to look for the human phthalate syndrome. And fortunately, in that study for future families, for which we had enrolled men who were married to pregnant women, we had the urine from both the man and the woman. We had stored the woman's urine. And so we were able to get that urine, send it to the Centers for Disease Control, analyze the levels of phthalates in the urine, and then we were able to bring the children in for an exam and look for the endpoints that had been altered in the rodents. And what we found was, yes, indeed, the changes that the National Toxicology Program had seen in rodents and rats, we also saw in our children. Mm. Now, I should say in males, and we didn't see any changes in the females, but you wouldn't expect that because the female genital tract does not require testosterone to develop normally. So these boys were not weird. They didn't look strange. You wouldn't notice anything unless you took the calipers, which we took, and actually very carefully measured the entire genital region. And when you do that, you see statistically significant differences, which are related to how much phthalate, certain phthalates, particularly the ones that are known to lower testosterone, those phthalates were significantly related to these endpoints in the boys. And would you expect for those boys that were exposed to phthalates, would you expect to see some sperm quality and quantity decline as they enter reproductive age? That's what the animals study suggested. And we also had some evidence that one particular measure that was most sensitive, which is called the anal genital distance, that that measure was permanent. So just like you have your eye color for life, you know, various other physical features, that was a measure that stayed with you. So you, it got longer as you grew, but if you were short at the beginning, you're going to be short as an adult. And that measure when we looked at it in adult males, these were college students in Rochester, New York, we found that those that had a shorter measure, that is shortened perhaps by phthalates, we don't know, went on to have lower sperm counts. So we had a direct link from this measurement in a gentle distance to the sperm count of and quality of the men. And then another study showed that infertile men also had a shorter antigenital distance. So this marker 
Anogenital distance turned out to be very useful because it told us something about how much testosterone was present in utero, and it told us how they were going to function as adults. And this whole path can be set off course by the mother's exposure to phthalates. That was Dr. Shauna Swan of Mount Sinai speaking about phthalates in the context of male sexual development. It was from the April 15, 2021 episode of Food Sleuth Radio, and I'll try to provide a link to this interview on our SoundCloud and Facebook pages. But let's get back to the paper that I'm summarizing today. Now, the federal government already restricts the levels of eight different phthalates in children's toys and child care articles. But this call to action that I'm reviewing for you today is asking federal and state governments to reduce the exposure of phthalates in pregnant women, women of reproductive age, as well as in infants and children. I'm interpreting this to mean that they're basically asking for an across-the-board reduction of phthalates in our economy. Because if you keep that chemical away from women of reproductive age, as well as children, then the exposure to the rest of us is bound to be reduced too, right? And they say that this needs to be done by eliminating the entire class of phthalates rather than just individual versions of that chemical. If you look at the exposures of people to phthalates, you find that on average it's higher in women compared to men and that black and Latina women have higher exposure levels than white women regardless of socioeconomic status. And I need to tell you that phthalates are readily transferred from mother to fetus during pregnancies. Although many companies will undoubtedly balk at the idea of eliminating this very useful chemical, some companies are already taking action. The Apple Computer Company, for instance, is not using phthalates in their products anymore. Walmart and CVS drugstores are reducing the inclusion of phthalates in their beauty and personal care products. Home Depot and Lowe's have committed to reducing the chemical in their household products, like vinyl flooring. And Panera Bread has replaced vinyl gloves that do contain phthalates with polyethylene gloves, which don't contain them. Basically, these scientists are saying that since phthalates are essentially ubiquitous in our modern world, that we need to take a multi-pronged regulatory approach at the federal and state levels. This is because animal studies and human observations indicate that exposure to phthalates can impair brain development and can increase risks of childhood learning, attention, and behavioral disorders. And then there's other researchers who have pointed out the effect of phthalates on sexual development and male infertility. But rather than just regulating one or two specific phthalate compounds, these scientists are advocating that the entire class of chemicals be removed from the market. Now, short of regulation, you might be wondering what you can do now to reduce your exposure to phthalates especially if you're parents of young children or thinking of conceiving of children someday. Dr. Swan recommends looking at the recycling codes on the various plastic containers you use around the house. Recycling numbers 1, 2, 4, and 5 
are better than the number threes. Plastic recycling code number three means that it actually is a phthalate-containing plastic, so stay away from three. Plastic number three is used to make clear food packaging, for instance, and it's often in shrink wrap. And then secondly, Dr. Swan warns against buying processed food that you might see advertised on television, for instance. It's very likely that plastic-containing phthalates were used in either preparing that food or cooking it or packaging it. So that's it. I just wanted you to know about these chemicals called phthalates. They're receiving a lot of scrutiny these days, not only because of their effect on childhood brain development and behavior, but also because of their interference with male sexual development and fertility. These chemicals are really common, though, and it's going to be nearly impossible to totally eliminate them from our lives and our bodies and the bodies of our loved ones. You can try to reduce the exposure by eating more natural foods that aren't packaged or prepared using plastics. But because of the pervasiveness of phthalates, these public health experts are saying that it makes more sense to regulate the production and dissemination of the chemicals at the industrial level. So fewer of them actually reach our households and our bodies in the first place. Thank you. Well, that's the show this week. Thank you for listening to Bench Talk, The Week in Science. We think the world is a fascinating place, and science is a good way to explore it. Science truly empowers all of us. If you want to learn more about the show, go to our Facebook page. Just search for Bench Talk, two words on Facebook. You can also email us at benchtalkradio at gmail.com. That's one word, benchtalkradio at gmail.com. Now, all of our episodes are podcasted on SoundCloud, so just visit the station's website at www.forwardradio.org and scroll down to the program archives. That's www.forwardradio.org to listen to any of our old episodes. If you live outside of the Louisville broadcast area, you can still listen to us on live stream at that same website, www.forwardradio.org. This show is broadcast on WFMP LP 106.5 FM every Monday at 7.30 p.m. That's Eastern Time, 11.30 a.m. every Tuesday, and 7.30 a.m. every Wednesday. Thank you for listening to WFMPLP 106.5 FM, your grassroots, volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky, where there is still a little room for evidence-based rational analysis. Thank you.